Hi, we are Easy A's, Angie and Amanda, two best friends with a decade between us, which has shown us that you don't have to be at the same age and stage to get each other at a soul level. We believe life should be easy, not to say that it won't be complicated, but we are finding it is possible to move through life with more ease. Join us as we go down the rabbit hole of anything and everything that is lighting us up at the moment. Welcome back to Easy A's. Welcome. Here we are again. Here we are again. Sitting in the basement. Got a little fire going. It's fake, but that's okay. Also, really, really nice outside. <laughs> it's gorgeous outside, but it's cold in the basement. Right. You gotta so. have lots of options in Colorado. I know. I was looking at the weather. I was just showing... Um, my friend who's going to be joining us this week on the podcast, I was showing her the weather and how it's supposed to be like 70 tomorrow, but then 39 the next day. And I'm like, welcome to Denver. It's It's a little bipolar here. I'm ready for the warm. Yeah. Yeah. Got really excited about it today. Yeah. Yeah. Was it really nice all day here? Yes. Yes. Well, it was gorgeous up in the mountains too. We were up there and you know, traffic wasn't awful on the way home. It was, it got thick a little bit in some spots. So it was, it was a nice drive home. Good, good. Um, well, well, so we have, we have a guest to introduce. So, um, as we are kind of getting into our flow with this, we're finding that we like to have a guest every couple weeks or every few weeks. And this week we are privileged enough to have one of my longest standing friends and my best, my other best friend, Amanda, (laughs) I've got all the Amandas in my life, um, joining us. And she is just really I mean, I, I'm going to not get teary on this episode, so um, we won't go into into all the schmoopy soft details, but has just been an incredibly influential person in my life and a friend like no other. And we've known each other since childhood. We went to camp together growing up, um, but we kind of reconnected in college, uh, funny enough. And so we have been inseparable in spirit ever since, even though she lives in Chicago and I'm out here in Denver. And she's she's been on a hell of a ride the last handful of years uh, with some things that she's going to be discussing with us today. So welcome to Easy A's, Amanda, another A. Thank you. I'm Ooh. glad to be here. We are so happy to have you. <laughs> so happy to have you. I uh, have to ask, what was this camp that you went to growing up? Why don't you do some talking? Well, um, we went to camp in central Illinois, mm-hmm. and we were in the same cabin uh, one year. Willow? Willow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Angie had a really rockin' perm um, at that time, <laughs> and I think I probably did, too. I think you might have, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because that was the late 80s, and yeah. that's what we did. So, uh, we clicked right away when we went to totally. that camp. Totally. And I, I believe that was the year that... Alan was at camp as well. And Alan is my ex-husband's brother. And I had the severest crush on him <laughs> ever. And you knew him because you guys right. grew, up, grew together. up together. Right, right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, she also knows Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I need to become friends with her. <laughs> Are you still trying to get close to Alan? Or? <laughs> I am <Just> not. <laughs> that would be an that would be an interesting story. A to twist tell, of events. A twist of events. <laughs> it didn't work out with his brother, but ultimately, no. Alan. Um, so yeah, it was it was a church camp that was affiliated I with uh huh with the know. Mennonite Church, and so Amanda and I both grew up Mennonite, and. 
yeah, Menno Haven Camp and Retreat Center, mm-hmm. where we both worked then. Also, mm-hmm. it reconnected us yes. in college because I knew that she, we went to Goshen College in Northern Indiana, which is also a Mennonite university. And when I realized that Amanda was a student there, I was really excited about that, but I wasn't quite sure how to get to know her again because I transferred there in my junior year and she'd already been there for two years. And so she had a lot of really great friends. And it was highly popular and it was, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I mean, you were, you had a great group of friends. And so we were in each other's awareness probably, but when we really reconnected was back at Menno Haven again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was working as the um, camp nurse, even though I was still a student <laughs> nurse <laughs> and I was the program director. That was my second yeah. summer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just really, it was program director and nurse. And mm-hmm. yet neither one of us were professionals. No, <laughs> neither one. Absolutely neither one. not. But after that it was like, okay, this relationship is, this is what it is. And yeah. now we're like tight light tigers. And just, yeah. yeah. And we have a friendship that is like, it, it's the first kismet type of friendship that I've ever had in my mm-hmm. life. And I, it's just like a soul sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm. so happy to have you here. Yes. Thanks. Me too. So why don't you tell us just a little bit, you know, give us a little overview of you and, you know, we'll eventually get to the journey that I was kind of talking about. Okay. Well, I'm a suburban mother and wife. Uh, That actually doesn't define me. That's just (laughs) (laughs) just a descriptor. No, I live in the Chicago suburbs and I live in a town that is um, idyllic in lots of ways and also... uh, kind of scary in Stepford in some ways, but uh, overall, I love it. It's a great community. My husband and I lived there for 14 years. Um, I grew up in Chicago suburbs also um, and grew up going in a very affluent area with parents that were not affluent. I had a parent that was a PhD engineer that was the primary breadwinner, worked all the time, and a stay-at-home mom that probably might have preferred to not be a stay-at-home mom, but that was the times. Um, So I grew up there, uh, and I went to Goshen College in Indiana, which Angie mentioned, and then I came out and moved back to Chicago, got married, and Spent time working as a medical ICU nurse at Rush, uh, which is a big university medical center in downtown Chicago. Had what I call as my second college, which is just hanging out with people, young adults, doing all the fun 20-somethings things in the city. And then uh, ultimately, I decided I wanted to go back to school to be a nurse practitioner. So I did my master's degree and uh, started working as a nurse practitioner in 2004, the end of that, 2005. Um, And so anyway, so I currently work as a nurse practitioner uh, with a pulmonary specialty group, which I've been with for over 10 years plus. Kind of complicated history on that one. Um, And I also help run administrative stuff for the practice. So I get to see patients and I also get to make business choices. So that's kind of a fun blend. So, um, and I have two kids that are 14 and 11 daughters who I love to pieces and um, could not m- fulfill me in a better way. Like everything I hope for. Um, so, anyway, um, I don't, is that enough? That's, that's great. Okay. No, that's perfect. <laughs> and I 
I second the love for your daughters. They're so amazing. <laughs> They're so wonderful. Their names are Phoebe and Daphne, mm-hmm. and they just couldn't be more different, yet also just... I don't know the perfect the yeah, perfect they get along really well I'm uh, well I could say I'm incredibly lucky but it also took a very uh, committed uh, parenting mm-hmm. choices that people gave us a hard time about long uh, for a while for some sure. things yeah um, but no they're they're wonderful and I have a, a very close relationship with both of them they actually just did their first solo flight to Phoenix to visit their grandparents so my husband dropped them off at yeah. the airport to the gate and off they went. So that's kind of a big first for and me. Did, I don't think they've landed yet. I'm not sure. Okay. Probably close. Getting there. Very good. So obviously that's a great kind of overview of life. But one of the things that we wanted to talk about is, uh, or the you know biggest piece of what we wanted to talk about is the journey that you've been on the last number of years. And so why don't you take us back to, was it eight years ago? Mm-hmm. 2013 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you got a first diagnosis that was really unexpected yeah so in 2013 so let me back that up I've always been someone who uh like to work and work I may work an overnight job and then come work during the day and work on less sleep than was necessary and kind of damaging to my body, uh, but I worked all kinds of unconventional hours because it would allow me to be home with my kids for bigger stretches, but then still be able to pull the kind of money that I wanted, or if I needed to work more because my basement sewage backed up, then I had the opportunity and I would just go ahead and do it. So I've been working some crazy hours, not um, sleeping as much as I could, always been a raging insomniac, uh, even as a kid. And it just wasn't sleeping well, wasn't really feeling the best. And I started having issues where where I'd wake up in the morning feeling really nauseated, like maybe I had morning sickness, but it wasn't that. As the day would go on, I would feel better, and I'd just kind of forget about it. And the next day, it would be there again. So that kind of went on and off for a while, and because I'm a nurse practitioner and I think I can take care of myself, I didn't go get <laughs> checked out. I was just starting to take... Acid reflux meds, because while I was in grad school, I had an ulcer, so I thought maybe I was having that, because I was also having some abdominal pain, too. So anyway, um, long story short, I very uh, emergently found out I had a brain tumor in my fourth ventricle, which is what connects down to the spinal cord from the brain. And it was uh, compressing on uh, the arteries that flow the, bla- the, the blood into the brain, the cerebral arteries. And I had to have uh, emergency, very scary surgery that was about 12 to 13 hours long. And my neurosurgeon described it as peeling the white off of an orange. That's the level of intricacy that was going on there. Anything in the brain is going to be intricate, Mm -hmm. not just that. Um, But I was actually really relieved when I found out that's what was going on because it explained a lot of why I hadn't been feeling well. And I just wanted to get past it so I could get back to, you know, back to myself, back to life. Um, So I had massive brain surgery, and then I underwent radiation treatment, uh, which is a whole other six weeks of going in daily to a facility and getting strapped down uh, with my head and mouth uh, closed off and and onto a a panel. 
uh, where I had to lay there for 45 minutes and have this um, proton beam, you know, radiate into my tumor area. And that was really nerve wracking. And I'm not even somebody that has problems with like PTSD or claustrophobia historically, but that was, I would have to take anti-anxiety medicine to even get through that. So I finished that. I had to relearn how to swallow and talk correctly because I only had 10% of my tongue strength after the surgery. Um, so I had quite a lisp mm. for a while. And uh, it's, I can compensate for it now, but you know, it, was the, it was there. So I, I went through all of that stuff, and it was hard, but I had wonderful family support and everything. You know, I, I couldn't have had a better support system in place. My husband was tremendous. My sister and sister both came and lived with me uh, for a while while I was recovering from that to help take care of the kids. And uh, my boss was incredibly understanding. And it all just worked out great. And I went back to living how I was living. And the only major changes I made were stop drinking um, any kind of fake sugar. So no aspartame or any of that sucralose or whatever's in Splenda. Um, And uh, stop drinking pop. And I thought, you know, I was getting my health Mm -hmm. (laughs) on track. So, And I went back to life as usual. And things kind of fell back into line, like with just day-to-day living. Yeah, and that lasted for about seven years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. So you um, were out here visiting in Denver. I don't know when it was exactly. But soon after you went home, I think you and Adam came out in like November. Yeah, September. September. 2019. 19. Yeah. And you went home and you weren't feeling your best. Um, so maybe kind of pick back up there when you weren't feeling your best and kind of what you thought might be going on and then just kind of, okay. Cause I think that'll take us into a little bit, both of like the fasting story, but then mm-hmm. yeah, where we had next. So my husband and I, uh, we got married very young. So we were in Denver. Um, we kind of did a 20th anniversary, multi, multi small trip kind of what my husband called the anniversary tour. <laughs> so <laughs> I was so we, thrilled we could be a part of it. We finished out the tour in uh, Denver where we spent time with Angie and her husband and went to Black Keys concert and just, you know, had a nice long weekend. And then um, I was having a ton of acid reflux problems and, and joint swelling issues I'd been having for years and it really seemed to ramp up. So, um, at the end of December, I started fasting without really knowing what I was doing. I just knew that anything I put in my stomach made me feel sick. So uh, I wasn't, I didn't eat for a few days. And then my stomach felt so much better. I'm like, I need to look into what's going on with, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat during the day or what's this all about. So I stumbled upon intermittent fasting, which is a practice I started then at the end of December where... I slowly built myself to up to not eat during the day and just eat in a window at night. And I'd been doing that for a few months. I felt great. I had lost weight, you know, uh, without doing the yo-yo dieting stuff that many of us all do. And I was feeling well in regards to that. But then I started having some back pain. And I thought, well, it's the pandemic. It's stressful. Pulmonary, especially a nurse practitioner. I have to go into the ICU. I have to take care of COVID patients. This is probably just, you know, stress related to all of this stuff. 
and I uh, was just doing everything else kind of to try to mitigate my um, back pain. And after a few months, it would get better, then it would get worse. Went to a chiropractor, did topical stuff. We got massaged. Well, I think I said was a period probably where I wasn't able to get massages mm-hmm. during the pandemic. But tried all these things. It wasn't getting better. And then the thought just crossed my mind, like, I wonder if this has something to do with my brain tumor. Because I'd been getting scanned and checked regularly. It wasn't like I hadn't followed up on any of that stuff. And the particular brain tumor that I had... It does not spread to different parts of the body. It only goes within the brain and the spinal canal. So I went and had um, everything checked because that was due for my scans anyway. And I was found to have a recurrence of this kind of tumor. And I had it had spread into my spinal cord. So I had a new brain tumor um, and then three spinal tumors. Um, so that was unexpected. The, the, the kind of tumor they have is very rare as an adult. It only accounts for like, um, less than 1% of any kind of, uh, brain tumor for adults, although it's more common in children and the recurrence rate is even less likely. So undergoing what I had, which was a complete spine tumor removal and radiation has about a 90% success rate. That is nothing recurs. So I had done all that stuff and I'm in the 10% that had a recurrence of that and a dissemination of that where it went down into my spinal cord. So, um, that was not expected. And, um, basically at that point I knew I was in for another round of, surgeries and radiation and what did that mean for myself and so that that took a lot of processing but at that point I realized that I needed to change my lifestyle completely like I didn't change anything I went back to working like a maniac not getting as good of sleep as I could have not that I ate badly but you know didn't really change much Mm -hmm. in terms of my diet And I realized that if I'm going to beat this or work through this, I need to make other changes to myself. And so I went into every kind of dive I could do in terms of resources. And I was still fasting through all this time, by the way. Like I still was fasting. I felt like that made me feel, I felt good. I felt strong. I felt like it was helping my, my body clean out the cellular garbage of what the bad cells were hanging there. It's called autophagy. It's a a process that we all do if we fast for long enough. Um, anyway, so I started, there was a wonderful, uh, podcaster and author named Chris. Can I, can I say that? Okay. Yeah. Yes, of course. (laughs) Uh, Named Chris Wark, who had a site called crispycancer.com. And he had like a 10 part or so module, a series of different things that, you know, you need to work through to help yourself to do everything you can to improve yourself, uh, your odds against, um, getting your immunity in check so that you can keep your bad cancer cells, you know, controlled. Mm -hmm. Because all of us produce cancer cells. All of us do. We all have them. But our own system's supposed to go in there and, you know, clean that stuff up. They see a cell that looks misformed. They're supposed to be able to just, you know, garbage sweep that up. But if we don't give them a chance to do that appropriately because of our diet or our lifestyle, um, they can't do their function. So... 
I started going through his principles of stuff, which was all basically a lot of emotional and spiritual um, changes and, and acts that I had never really associated with. And being a healthcare provider, this is not anything that has been taught to me in school <laughs> or mm-hmm. anything right. related to that. The mind-body connection you know is there, but you know, there's if you're a science person, sometimes it's more challenging to accept that there are those connections that are happening. So, mm-hmm. um, so I started learning more about that, the things that I could do to myself to get myself in check um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally. And so I started doing some of those practices, which included regular meditation, focusing on an intention. This time, instead of taking a medication for anti-anxiety, I did deep breathing techniques and also I would breathe in, you know, if I, once the beam would turn, so I would be on the table for like 40 minutes or so. And the, the radiation beam doesn't run the entire time, but they'll, they reposition things. So every time the beam would come on, I would start doing my deep breathing practices. And then I would breathe in the healing and exhale out, Mm. you know, the damage basically. And I would do that every day, every day. And I got through another six weeks of daily radiation like that, um, strapped in on it when you're strapped in you're unable to move you're unable to talk you know you're just basically laying there you could be, there's a very um tight um thick plasticized mesh basically that covers over the whole face and straps in like at the neck so it's very claustrophobic like when mm-hmm. children have to have that they have to get iv sedation basically mm-hmm. to yeah. be able to do it so so that was a big shift from the first time i had radiation to the second because i'm like doing all this breathing work mm-hmm. and really felt like i was supporting as as that beam was coming in to burn you know these cells away mm-hmm. I felt like my body was, I was helping my body to be open and accepting to that. Um, The other thing I learned while I was doing that is that instead of being like, I have cancer and and I hate this and I hate my cancer, to realize that that's just a part of my body. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just, it is my body. And so I have to show it love because it's a part of me. And these are cells that, aren't trying to hurt me. They're just there and they had damage, you know, and what was I doing to make any of that stuff better? Nothing. <laughs> I wasn't right. helping mm. myself. Um, so I continued to practice some of this stuff and learn everything I could about from lots of books, podcasts uh, about different things that I could be putting into my body. What were the right supplements to be taking? You know, do what kind of medicine should I maybe not mm-hmm. be on that I maybe was taking? Um, what kind of food am I putting into my body? Um, so I learned a lot more about plant-based eating. Not that I'm a, not a vegan, um, uh, but I definitely, my husband, who is like a super hardcore carnivore, <laughs> has been very supportive in changing our diets to include a lot more plants and not that we didn't eat that stuff, but to a higher, right. uh, much higher level of changing that kind of eating while still fasting and, and allowing for myself to have that period where my cells can regenerate and not be triggered by things that I'm eating um, to not have that period of rest and digest. So 
um, so diet related changes, but also the practices of just how to let go of things within myself that maybe I'm holding on to that's making me sick, making mm-hmm. me anxious, making mm-hmm. me not feel well. And um, that was aided in depth by a, a shaman that I started to see that worked through some of that with me. So um, I could, not sure how, whether to tell you so what many things. things. Yeah. There. Yeah. I was going to say, I recently heard somebody say you can't heal a body that you hate. And so I think that's true and speaks to the power that you have to realize that because I think anyone would give you the okay to say it's okay to feel that way if you have cancer, but to even say, oh, I have this and I'm still going to love my body. That's Mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all these different practices that I start. I read this book called Radical Remission by Kelly Turner and it was her interviewing all these people that uh, there's been tons of research on these people that have what they call is a radical remission. That is, they have a very bad diagnosis. They're told their odds are poor and or they're, they're not responding to treatment at all. And what do these people do that got them to the point of where they're in remission or they're, uh, they're, they're healed? They're way beyond a five-year period or a 10-year period or whatever. And she basically was able to isolate, she did her PhD work on this. So she was able to isolate out these different characteristics that manifested out of like, let's say 70 plus characteristics that people would show when they were doing this behaviors, you know, lifestyle choices, whatnot. The top things that were seen on there, I feel like apply to everything, not just to cancer patients, but were, um, you know, obviously diet, what are you putting into your body? Mm-hmm. Exercise. Are you moving? Are you actually doing what our body needs us to do? If, if exercise was in a pill, that would be the biggest big pharma, mm. you know, absolutely. <laughs> whenever. Um, and then it was stuff like forgiveness. Like mm. you go through and you forgive every single person that, that has wronged you, certain events that have wronged you. You don't necessarily have to call that person, but you just have to physically be like, I forgive you for doing this. It could be petty stuff, stuff that you revisit in your mind all the time. Um, And then it was meditation. It was um, social support community. So I have an amazing group of friends. Obviously, Angie's part of that group of friends. Um, or not even group, support network. So obviously she lives in ben- in Denver. We have two friends that are here with us for this weekend that were my two of my best friends at home that didn't really know Angie. Um, well, one of them did, but not in the way that we're known now. So, um, so this collective group of people that um, can get together and be supportive, plus my whole all my other friends from home. I have the most supportive family. Just being there to do stuff, to make meals. My friend Julie came and like, rub my neck every day when I was recovering from surgery. Just knowing you have community there to help bolster you up and take care of you is huge. And the first time around, I was definitely someone that everyone's like, oh, you're so strong. You're getting through all this. And I realized the second time around that my strength before was fake. I didn't know that it was fake, but it but it was. It was just me muscling through versus... Um, Actually experiencing it and find a true core of strength. That's a big difference. Between Muscling through is the, like, the perfect way to put it. <laughs> now that I've seen the difference 
in how you have approached this time um, because you were just, you did have a toughness about you, but it was also, it was like, we don't want to dwell on this. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't going to take me down. So let's not dwell. Let's not give it too much energy, Mm -hmm. but this has been so different. Mm -hmm. And not only has it been transformational for you, but I think it's really been transformational for everyone around you. Mm -hmm. I think, I think watching the way you have gone inward and the way that you have attacked this, but also welcomed it in the sense of welcoming the lessons to learn from it. Mm -hmm. And you've talked a bit about what I think is probably a pretty controversial topic, and but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about it, which is, and you've touched a little bit on it without saying it, but the propensity that we have of contributing to our own illness, mm-hmm. it's an unpopular thing to say, well, I had cancer because I agreed to it in some soul kind of oh, existence it's way. Not per- it's definitely not or popular. It's the opposite. It's of that. the opposite of popular or to say that I have made choices that contributed to my, to my condition or mm-hmm. to my illness, mm-hmm. but it's something that you've really come to believe strongly in. And I just, yes. I'd love to hear you kind of so talk that, a little bit that about that. came from, um, the, the person I mentioned before, Chris Wark, crispycancer.com in one of his modules, he said, he said, why do you think you have cancer? He opened up his module with that. Why do you think you have cancer? And the first thing that popped into my mind was stress. And he said, we've all contributed ourselves to having cancer. And he said, you know, traditional medicine wants to make us victims. They want to say like, oh, you didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, you're healthy. You're this. You didn't smoke. You're, but whatever. And they don't look into other factors. Then you feel like, well, if I didn't, if I didn't contribute to this, how am I supposed to help myself fix it? I'm just going to hope that you know this doctor is going to come up with a plan for me that is going to take care of it by drugs, and that's just how it's going to be. And they don't want to take any deeper look into the things that they could actually be doing that might have contributed, but, but also can maybe fix, can also help heal and treat, you know? And that, so that came from that. And I, as soon as he said that, I knew right away, chronic stress. I have a very stressful job trying to balance that. Anyone that's, you know, tried to be a full-time working parent, you know, and still be a good parent, still have a good relationship with your partner, still find time for your friends, all of that stuff, and try to run uh, a, a medical practice, help people that are making bad decisions with stuff, you know, just control for the environment. Everything was chronic stress. And what happens when you have chronic stress is you have inflammation. When you have inflammation, your immune system doesn't work well. And everything doesn't work as well. And so I identified that really early on. I would probably say I I had my surgery at the end of, no, mid to end of August. Oh, mid, mid-August. And I got to that probably about two weeks after I had been home, like mm. recovering. And that's sort of when I just went whole hog into what do I have to do to release this stuff. But that also echoed the sentiment of that shaman that I was seeing, Rodrigo, that's his name, mm-hmm. Um Where he's like, you know, and I have had to suspend my whole, you know, as a, as a traditional, you know, medical science perspective person and growing up in a traditional Christian 
background trying to suspend my, you know, well, that's not, you know, that's, there's nothing to support that. There, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that this is real being open to, you know, the ways of how the body has been viewed, the body and the mind and the spirit have been viewed for years, you know, like thousands of years, always about energies and the things that we do to contribute to our own successes and failures. And he said that I was holding on to a lot of anxiety and stress about issues, things I hadn't worked through that I kept recycling and going back to. Um, Recently learned the term for that is old stories (laughs) that get Mm -hmm. recycled. Um, But he said, you have to get that stuff out. You have to get that out of you. And it doesn't mean that you have to confront the person, although you could, but you don't have to. You can just let it go. And so I started practicing that. And as soon as I started doing that, it completely changed my life. Mm. My calm level went. I'm more of a usually would run toward an anxiety spectrum versus anything. That totally chilled me out. Things that didn't, that used to bother me, just stopped bothering me. Or, or maybe nuances about things that, that I would, you know, circle fight with my partner about would no longer, I would be able to just let that be, you know, things that were old things that, and this, this didn't happen immediately. I, this is obviously a practice I do on a daily basis with, especially with recurring relationships or people where I find those feelings coming up inside of me and I've learned how to just process that and let that be and not let myself, you know, perseverate on those things. And that has changed my whole presence, I feel like. It has. <laughs> it has. It absolutely has. I don't I don't know you as well, so I would say that um, you seem, yeah, you seem very, very, um, what's a good word? Just incredibly grounded. Yeah. Present. Very Zen-like. In Zen. A, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a monk. And, and you've, <laughs> while in your personal experience, anxiety was present, you've always presented outwardly very strong, very oh, yeah. capable, mm-hmm. very even keeled. You don't fly off the handle. That's never been you. No, no. But there's just an inner peace to you that exists now at a level that I don't think I had witnessed in you before. No, I hadn't witnessed that in myself before for certain. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. I want to ask about the second time around, you obviously approached it very differently. What... And I think it was the first time you knew, okay, that didn't work. But was there any part of you that thought, well, you know, screw it. I'm just going to... going to die from this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and so what gave you the courage to then... I mean, because it takes strength to do all the things that you're talking about to say, okay, this is going against everything I've ever learned as a uh, practitioner and... You know, but I'm going to have faith and I'm going to, I'm going to do it this, this different way. And so what kind of changed for you? You know, I think uh, at first when, so of course, uh, like any good medical professional, I looked at my CAT scans as soon as they came up because I knew something was wrong because I left the MRI (laughs) 
a facility and I got a call about 10 minutes later from my oncologist's office saying like, oh, you know, um, Dr. Grimm had a cancellation. So uh, he wanted if you wanted to come tomorrow. Well, I know that line because I give that to people all the time. So <laughs> I was like... Right away, I texted Adam, and he was, Adam was my husband, and I was trying to, and he was like, just relax, and then I text Dennis, who is my boss, and has been very involved in all of these things, and he's like, don't worry, and I I knew I had to worry, I knew that, that that's what that was, so I was like, okay, well, I have to obviously look at my scans, but I cannot get away till tomorrow to see what's going on here, and I can, <laughs> so I did. Yeah. And right away, and I don't know where my kids were, but they weren't there. Um, I don't know if they were, I'm not sure where they were, but they weren't there. They weren't going to be there for the evening for whatever reason. So um, I poured myself a really big glass of wine and went on my patio and just like was crying. And I'm like, this is going to kill me. It's going to take me. Um, Because there's really minimal treatment options for this. Um, Tumors that are only in the central nervous system don't really respond well to chemo. Mm -hmm. So if you've been radiated already and there's nothing else to radiate, there's nothing else you can really do um, besides surgery and um, like over and over on tumors that you know are going to come back, right? So I said, well, you know, okay, I'm going to put on my pragmatic hat and I'm going to think about this, you know, as as a medical decision maker, this would be probably a chronic illness that I'm just going to have to deal with until I die, you know, and maybe, maybe I'll be lucky to get five years or seven years out of this again before it comes back. So, um, this is going to, this is going to kill me, but maybe not tomorrow. Yeah. And so, and then I just started thinking about it and I'm like, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to write that story for myself. I'm not ready to put that out there in the universe that like, oh, let's hope that I get seven more years or five more years, which could very well be the case. But I don't think about it that way. Um, And what kind of helped me to move past that was, again, starting to listen to some of these um, podcasts and books and things that really went through unconventional things that people did and how they improve their life and and how not only did they heal you know their cancer but they healed themselves and how they found purpose from that so I started to look like how can I find purpose from this what can I take away from this that's going to change my life because this time my life has to change Mm -hmm. can't do the same things and expect different uh, reactions right so um so that sort of what instigated me into you know what like, I'm going to look at this as a different thing. I'm working on this every day. It's helping myself. Maybe it's helping me physically, certainly helping me from a, an emotional and mental standpoint and spiritual one. And um, and just sort of changed over my whole perspective on that as to just being like, I'm going to be here as long as I'm supposed to be here. And it's mm-hmm. not about like, oh, I hope that this is going to happen or this is going to happen. Because we all know we're going to die eventually from something. But at the same time, I had things, you know, it's not like I, I don't want to die. It's I want to live. You know, that's the mm-hmm. that's the key difference, I think. And that book that I mentioned before, Radical Remission, that is definitely one of the factors. People have things they want to live for, not just being afraid to die. And so I really started to focus my thoughts on why do I want to live? I want to live. I want to, 
you know, want to see my kids, you know, become adults. I want to have grandkids. I want to have, you know, those things that would be experiences that you would classically expect to have. I'm not ready to not have that. So I, I want to live. I'm not afraid of death, although I was. Mm-hmm. But I've gotten to a point where um, I'm feeling much more peaceful about it. So I'm not operating from fear anymore. It's mm-hmm. more just a place of learning and understanding, you know? Yeah, I think that's what I've witnessed in you is, yeah, it's not a place of fear. It's a place of kind of abundance of what there is to to do and to look forward to. And I think another thing that it has really drastically changed, not just your outlook on your own personal life and how you want to live and who you want to be, but as a medical professional, I'm seeing it change the way that you want to to work with your patients mm-hmm. and the way that you want it to change the way you practice medicine and the way that you look at a whole person instead of just symptoms and treatment. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that too in terms of how it's already changed the way that you are practicing every day. And then just some of the things that it's really kind of peaked within you. Some of the things that you feel really passionate about. Yeah. Well, certainly I'm, I touched on the fasting and I I don't want to bore you guys with that, but there are a lot of people that I see, um, because I work with lung patients and people that have sleep problems and a lot of people that are very, very, have found themselves very out of shape, very deconditioned, overweight, on tons of medicine um, that haven't done anything to change their lifestyles. And so, and, and people, and I'll hear people too also say, well, I do this and I follow this plan and I don't, I don't see results. I don't see changes. And I've learned about all this different stuff about insulin resistance and hormonal weight um, issues with, um, because of the insulin resistance. And so, the people that I feel are open to having those conversations, I'll definitely give them resources and say, hey, maybe you want to check out this, these these couple of books or these couple of podcasts about this. Um, and people are scared to do non-traditional things sometimes, but I can kind of gauge the acceptance level of some people. Mm-hmm. Some people are open to hear about that. Other people aren't, and that's fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not pushing anyone into it. But if I if I can give coaching about that, I do. But also in regards to really coaching people on, you know, for example, I had a, a mid fifties man who's got pretty severe COPD and emphysema, always short of breath, always sick, of course, still smoking, um, overweight, and he's coming in repeatedly and why why can't I breathe and why am I short of breath and what else can you do for me well there's only so much else I can do for you I said mm-hmm. I said what are you doing for you <laughs> and this is someone I don't know if I was just in a mood or I'm not sure what <laughs> but I was like what are you trying to get out of this appointment here you're on maximal kinds of medication therapies you're still smoking you're overweight you're not active how am I supposed to help you get better if you're not going to help yourself get better by doing these things? And I thought he was, I mean, he was like <laughs> kind of taken aback. But later on that day, and so I said, I said, what do you put in your body every day? What do you eat? 
you know, of course, it's all process garbage, not moving, not taking well. Anyway, again, not owning responsibility for himself. This is a, just a classic example, looking for someone else to fix me with another medicine or another pill. And I, I've i never been a big proponent that that's the only way to do things or whatever. But that's how we're sort of fostered to, you know, treat people It's like, well, okay, what medicine or what regimen are we supposed to do with this? And not really even looking into what are people doing to themselves that's totally being counterproductive to mm-hmm. other things that would be working for them. <laughs> so I totally expected to like, you know, him to be standoffish or whatever, but he was super nice when I left. And then he wrote me a very nice Google review. Nice. Mm-hmm. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> Maybe now, he was ready to hear it. Maybe he was ready to hear it, and I don't. I haven't seen him since because um, that was a couple of months ago. So I, you know, I'm curious to know if he's implemented anything. Probably not. But the point is, is someone talked to him about it. But as medical professionals, or in general, where people are always scared to tell people what they really think is going on and mm-hmm. challenge people, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you're like, someone's going to sue me. They're not going to come back to see me. They're going to write me a bad review. You know, whatever the case is. Um, and so I'm finding myself doing that with patients also in teaching. I'm getting certified in, in cannabis medicine. So I'm learning about every kind of natural thing related to that on how to tweak that for people for their sleep issues, for their anxiety issues, for pain issues. I myself as a, as a patient with that because I have chronic neck and back pain. What can I do? Because I don't want to be taking prescription pills, right? So what else can I do if I need something? And really learning a scientific basis on that stuff so that people that are reluctant to even open up to that idea of that train of stuff feel more confident that because someone has actually researched this and looked into what's out there from a science perspective. So I really mm-hmm. am enjoying that. And there's other classes like Cornell offers all these certification classes on plant-based medicine mm-hmm. and some different things that I'm interested in taking. So it's a matter of pulling the trigger of doing it. I was just thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we could do natural, like you can do natural medicine and be like a natural mm-hmm. doctor mm-hmm. and then natural HR. <laughs> yeah, you know, could you guys hire me? <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking like, you were always scared of telling people <laughs> that's totally what true. they want to hear in every profession. Think about it. Cause you're like, okay, they're definitely going to right. sue me or but get me calling, fired. Calling people out on their yeah. own contributory like factors to yeah. why they're not happy or why they're not doing well. And I mean, in a gentle way, but yeah, for some, I was just, yeah, thought of like if if doctors can do that, <laughs> right? HR, we can totally do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> then you're always worried about getting a bad review, <laughs> right? You heard it here first, right? But I think even the, in the lines of like sometimes people just have to hear that from somebody, and maybe yeah. it doesn't have to be everybody in their life, but they need to hear those kinds of things from somebody, right? right? Before they find themselves in a situation where maybe they wish they would have known that stuff before they got is bad, you know, right, right. Or their organization got as bad <laughs> right. in your case. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's totally true. I just love that. How you said that. So <laughs> I do too. Absolutely. So obviously the name of our show is easy A's and you've talked a lot about kind of how you found your way through this round of cancer treatment with a different type of ease than last time. 
Um, but I also kind of want to hear kind of, obviously, I think there's a lot that you're taking with you as you are moving forward in life. And you have said yourself, like, I don't like to think of myself as a person who is sick. And I'm not, that's not how I feel. That's not how I'm living. Um, what are some of the things that you feel are really important to your daily practices and living moving forward that will help you kind of maintain that ease for yourself? So definitely in terms of lifestyle, um, getting enough sleep, I'm very, very, um, anal about my sleep patterns. Um, I do everything possible to make sure I'm getting on average of seven to eight hours a night always before I used to be like, well, I'm just going to stay up and watch just a few more shows. On and how much did you get last night? Right. 10.2 hours. <laughs> what do you do to, uh, make sure you, you sleep through that Your time? So, um, so I have sleep apnea, which is, um, where you stop breathing intermittently throughout the night and that can wake you up, cause some other problems and make you not get good consolidated sleep. So I, tr I treat that. Um, I take, uh, whereas before I know I have a circadian rhythm dysfunction where my chronotype does not want to go to bed on a more conventional scale, but I know that it has to. So I've worked really hard to find a place where my bedtime under normal circumstances, obviously not when I'm on vacation, <laughs> it's a little more challenging, but where I find where is the place I can get my bedtime the earliest, but it's not too early that I'm going to be laying there like I can't sleep. Right. So there's a really awesome psychologist who specializes in sleep, and his name is Dr. Michael Bruce, and he has this whole theory on um, sleep chronotyping, the power of when. What does your circadian rhythm say about when you're going to best operate for going to bed, waking up, not just even sleeping, just everything that you do in your day when you operate the best. It's fascinating. Um, I need this. And you do too. You <laughs> yeah. have such sleep. I but that's, this, it comes yeah. down to this because, you know, people take pills to sleep because they can't sleep as early as they need to, to be able to get up super early in the morning. Yeah. And they also don't want to necessarily do the things that they have to do to get their mind set in place. So these are things that I try to do. So, um, Bruce refers to this as a power down hour, which I love this phrase. Once I learned it, I tell my patients. You told this, me last night I, I need did. to do this. <laughs> I did. But basically, and not everyone has to do this. If you don't have problems with sleep, then you don't need to worry about it. But if you're one of the right. many, many, many uh, millions of Americans that have sleeping problems, power down hour is basically where you say, okay, my bedtime's going to be 11. That's when I'm going to bed. So for the next 45 minutes to an hour, I'm going to get myself set up for bed. I'm going to get myself set up for the next day. Like, what do I want to wear? What tasks do I have to accomplish tomorrow and how I'm going to do that? And writing that stuff out. Mm. Being off of your TV, being off of your phone. Taking away that blue light, unless you're wearing some kind of blue blocker glasses. And even then, sometimes the mind stuff goes too much, you know, mm -hmm. by watching some of that stuff. But prepping yourself for the day, doing a bedtime routine, this stuff sounds like it's silly and it's not. Your, your mind responds to this and starts to recognize that this is me settling in for bed. And so uh, for me, that's doing those kinds of things. That's setting my stage in my bedroom like... What needs to happen? Dark, like real dark. White noise, like a shh, not mm -hmm. like a bird chirping or a waterfall, because <laughs> your subconscious actually listens to right. that as you're falling asleep. 
and then um no friends on as you go to bed and they're laughing i'm like why am i trying to sleep right exactly exactly cool temperatures cool temperatures yeah so you're setting yourself up for success and now you're moving those things out of your mind that you're like i'm gonna get this done tomorrow Mm -hmm. when am i gonna leave you know you've you've made a plan for yourself so you know you don't have to worry about it because you've gotten that out of your mind so i try to set my sleep up as much as well as i can i also practice daily light deep breathing techniques so stuff i'm sure you guys know about but like the four seven eight method Mm -hmm. uh, i do that a lot i do that at night when i'm laying in bed i try to do it at least 10 times and usually that will bring me down and and Mm -hmm. knock me out um but I do that throughout the day also before I'm going into something or a difficult meeting mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I do, I practice forgiveness every day. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I'm sitting in my car and I'm getting mad about something, I just let myself experience that moment of feeling angry or whatever the case is or hurt. And then I just let that go with that. I forgive you. I just, and then I move about my day. Or sometimes I say it a few different times mm-hmm. until I get there. It's still there a little. Still there a little. Do it again. Um, so that, and I, I go into, so I wear these um, bracelets here, which I got uh, a couple of them. Diana, my sister-in-law, best friend from home, who's here this weekend, that gave me that are crystals that are about grounding and protection. And then the green jade is a healing um, stone and then I made myself this, I am this, or I didn't make it. I got it on Etsy <laughs> for myself. It's called I am the storm, which has sort of been my mantra um, after that saying that's like, you know, you can't handle the storm. And then the person says, I am the storm. And so I've yeah. taken a lot of strength from that. So sometimes I'll just sit there during the day and rub this and say, I'm healed, safe, and protected. Like I am the storm, <laughs> you know? So yeah. sometimes just touching that stuff. Um, so it's a lot of just, and then the daily exercise, I was very into like high intensity workouts and all this stuff pre pandemic. And I don't even need to do that as long as I go and and get out there and get my fresh air, Mm -hmm. you know, outside as much as possible. Unless it's, I live in Chicago, obviously it gets very (laughs) cold in the winter, but I have a treadmill. So, um, so doing those practices every day. And, and being in control, the mental space that's freed before, and this is a whole other podcast about eating and things like Ooh, that. We'll but, have you back on. Um, yeah. But being free from having to worry about, like, was this a good choice I ate this? Was it a bad choice? You know, what am I, what am I going to eat when? And how is it that going to throw me off? And I, I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore because of my time restricted eating. So that's giving me a lot of space to be able to think about some of these other things. Um, so those are kind of the daily practices I do. Yeah. Love it. It's, I think it's great to get into that space and that routine because when you do it and you feel so much better and obviously you're very motivated to keep doing it, but it's just reminding me, okay, with the sleep thing, I don't sleep very well. And what am I doing about that? Well, nothing. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I can't sleep. There's something wrong, you know, but I what about I just a not a sleeper <laughs> putting into practice or it. acting like your day is not in your control at all. Those days happen to me, you know, here and there. And when you approach your day differently, like this morning, I was like, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to do other things. And even that made a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just love that. And it's reminding me that 
mm-hmm. daily practices. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're necessary. so crucial. And they, they're simple. None of that stuff. Yeah. And it's costless, right? It doesn't right. cost anything. Right. right. That's what I love about this. This is all, this is free. You're not buying into somebody's program or, right. or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I spend money on some supplements and things for, you know, just nutritional purposes. That's about all I spend my money on. I yeah. mean, I don't spend money coming to Denver. Coming to Denver. <laughs> that is money well spent. <laughs> Absolutely. We are just so grateful that you spent this time with us talking because I just think your story, obviously, it's about a very specific type of, you know, condition and what you've done to attack it. But I think that it is just so wonderful to remind all of us that whatever that challenge is that we hit up against, there are things that we are doing to contribute to things in our life that we can also contribute to bettering. Mm -hmm. And some of the practices are just so enriching and don't cost anything, don't Mm -hmm. have to be difficult. And also, I just love you so much. So I'm so (laughs) glad to have you here and share your story because I think just as it has impacted me tremendously and everyone in my circle, I think it will impact everybody that has the chance to hear it. So, well, thank, thank you. you. And I think the key word here is practice because it is a practice. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it every day. Absolutely. So I'm no pro, but that's what I've learned. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. It was great to, for me to also hear, hear the story in your words and very powerful. So thank you. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much. We will see y'all real soon. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of Easy A's Podcast. Thank you for stopping by and joining us. For more information on what we discussed today, check out the links in the show notes. We'll be back at you soon for another conversation amongst friends. But if you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, find us on Instagram at Easy A's Podcast. We'd also be ever so grateful if you would take a hot second to subscribe to our podcast and give us a quick rate and review. And better yet, share us with one of your friends. See you soon.